0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Medicine, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Claire Clark, one of the hosts of the channel, and today I am delighted to be welcoming Keisha Ray, who is an associate professor of philosophy and bioethics at the McGovern, at McGovern Medical School in Houston, Texas, newly tenured. So congratulations, Dr. Ray. Very exciting. Um, and uh, just want to say a little bit about the McGovern Center, um, which is a, a place where I was a previous uh, a fellow there, and they are just a wonderful center. Who um, they, unlike a lot of centers of bioethics that you know focus more on clinical ethics or biomedical research, they really have a human humanities bent. So really, um, one of the few places in the country where you can do. Um, scholarship that is really rooted in the medical or health humanities. Um, and uh, Dr. Ray and um, her book, Black Health, are and, and, uh, both um, groundbreaking things to come out of that center. So um, uh, Dr. Ray, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it
0: um i will start with our traditional opening question which is if you could tell us a little bit about yourself um and um yeah just introduce yourself
1: so my name is keisha ray like you said i am a philosopher and a bioethicist i'm very passionate about teaching but i'm also very passionate about making scholarship accessible. So I try to make sure that all of my work is linguistically accessible, meaning that it's simple language, no jargon. And so that way, most people can read it and have access to information and knowledge that it's not just knowledge that we keep in academia. I'm also very passionate about public scholarship, so I do a lot of podcasts, a lot of talking to journalists and to news reporters and giving comments on news stories and filming spots for a local news station and things like that. So just very passionate about expanding who has access to knowledge and information. When I am not working, I like to read science fiction books. I like to ride my bike. I like to see movies and hang out with my friends and my family and my dog, Charlie. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, and yes, and
0: I am so, um, pe- many people listening to this podcast may know you from um, your uh, your various roles as a, a public bioethicist, which doing really groundbreaking work. Um, well, let's talk about your book, this wonderful new book, um, Black Health. It's just out by from Oxford University Press. It's Um, The subtitle is The Social, Political and Cultural Determinants of Black People's Health. And it's the very first book in a new series from Oxford called Bioethics for Social Justice. Um,
1: How did you come to write this book? You know, I've been teaching bioethics for a very long time. And I started when I was a grad student, and I noticed that there weren't a lot of information. There wasn't a lot. I've noticed that when I was teaching bioethics that there wasn't a lot of information about Black people's health in the normal textbooks that a lot of bioethics professors use in their course. And so when I I knew that I wanted to teach about Black people's health because I knew that there are a lot of racial disparities in healthcare and in health outcomes. But to teach that to my students, I had to do a lot of the back work myself. I had to create presentations. I had to go and read sources that were just way too difficult for them to understand, but simplify it and put it into a presentation so that they could know this information, but they always wanted more and they always wanted to read it for themselves. But I just couldn't find a singular source that had all of the information that succinctly told the story of how Black people came to have inferior health in America, including the social determinants of health, the political, the commercial, and the cultural determinants of health, and just the history behind it, that it's not by accident that Black people ended up uh, with these kinds of poor health outcomes, And then I would also have colleagues that would come to me and they say, hey, I know you study Black health. I want to have this section in my course. Can you recommend something that my students can understand? And I would have trouble recommending them things because they just weren't out there. And then I started writing blogs, short 600 to 1,200 word uh, essays on Black health issues. And I wrote them very simply, very accessible. And I noticed that a lot of my colleagues were using those blogs in in their classes because it gave them what they needed. It allowed them to teach these topics in a way that their students would understand. And then I've been giving presentations and writing on this topic for a while. So I thought, I want to be that source. I want to be that singular source of information that people can go to very easily read about black health, have standalone chapters, have stories, right, to illuminate the information, I have stories from real people that experience these issues, but then also have the basics. Just what does it mean to say institutional racism affects black people's health? What do the social determinants of health mean? What does it mean to say structural racism is affecting black people's health? So just just what does it mean to say structural deter? Oh, sorry. What does it mean to say structural racism affects black people's health? And so I really just wanted to have this singular source that had the basics and then an illumination of the information using lived experience, using people's stories. And so I decided to write this short book that students can use in class and that they can understand it and actually want to read it because it's simple to read. But also, it's not long. You know, a lot of students these days don't want to read very long chapters. And so I made the chapters intentionally short. And again, I made them standalone. So if you already have your syllabus, and you just need a chapter on environmental racism, or you just need a chapter on black birthing health, you can assign just that chapter to your students, and they don't have to read the rest of the book to understand what's going on in that chapter.
0: So you really wrote the book that needed to exist in the world. And I, I can tell it went right on my syllabus. And um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of other faculty all across the country, It's it'll be going right on their syllabi as well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how the book is structured. So you you told us that the the chapters really stand alone. They also have, they've got really handy discussion questions. What else can you tell us about um, the structure of Black Health?
1: Yeah, you know, I wrote this book with students in mind. I also speak to students in bioethics courses that are in high school and they are eager to learn this information so I wrote it with them in mind. I also wrote it with my family and friends in mind. I have a lot of family who also want to read this stuff and want to know about their health and and their history but again need a recommendation and maybe they aren't academics or maybe they don't have PhDs but they still are interested and so I wrote it for people too who just want to know a little bit more about it who are not necessarily students but are lifelong learners and just want to know more information. So it was important for me that the structure of the book, be as simple and as easy as I can, given the heaviness of this topic, given just the emotional heaviness of this topic. And so for one, each chapter opens up with a story of a very real life person that's experiencing that issue at hand. And then it tells information and statistical information and data and research from other researchers who are working on this topic, but it's told through the stories. It'll give you a story of this person who was ignored by her doctors and who experienced all this pain, whose family was trying to help her. And then it goes into talking about the general issue of physician bias and the general issues that black women face when they're trying to get care for their pain. And so it really is about here's what the data tells us. But more importantly, here's what that data looks like in a very real experience. So that way, Black people are not just seen as numbers or statistical information or 50% of Black people have this, 25% of Black people have this. But no, what does that mean to say... Black people don't get adequate care for their pain. What does it mean to say Black people are dying at three times the rate of white women during and soon after birth? What does it mean to say power plants and facilities that emit pollutants in the air and water are disproportionately located where Black and brown and poor people live? What does that mean for their life, for their hobbies, um, how they get to pursue their career, spend time with their family and friends, grow their own vegetables in their backyard if their soil has pollutants? So I really wanted to tell people what do these statistics mean in real people's lives? What does it mean for their pursuit of well-being and happiness if they have all of these odds stacked against them having great health outcomes? And so the book is told through the stories. Each chapter ends with a sort of what do we do now? Here are some potential solutions I've thought of. Here are some other potential solutions that other people have thought of to this problem. For instance, in the chapter on Black birthing mortality, I am talking about different policies that lawmakers have enacted to protect Black people giving birth. Um, I've talked about doulas and midwives and how they really believe that we need to talk more about that and make that more of a known option for Black people who are giving birth. So I really end each chapter with why does this matter? What can we do? What are some possible solutions? And then here are five study questions just to help you think about the next steps to jog your curiosity of what does this mean for Black people? How can we talk about it? How do we keep the conversation and the discussion going after this book?
0: And so there are four chapters, and each of them focuses on a different um, racial health disparity. And I wonder if you could just – this is very basic Mm – just, just tell our listeners what are the topics of each of these four chapters, and then how did you decide on these disparities? Because there are there are many disparities to focus on. So so how did how did you uh, laser in on these four?
1: Right, you are absolutely right. There are so many disparities, and every time that I talk to someone, they say, "Why didn't you include this? Why didn't you include that?" And I wanted to keep the book short, and I could not I couldn't. I can't do all the topics and keep the book short and succinct like I wanted to. So maybe future editions will have different topics. But in this book, I chose to focus on birthing mortality, cardiovascular disease, sleep, and pain care and pain management. And I picked these because these are in some ways interconnected if you have poor sleep it can affect your cardiovascular disease which can then affect your birthing outcomes uh, which then can affect racial bias and how much pain you're in and how much physicians and healthcare providers believe that you're in pain so in some sense they're all sort of connected and and to go a little bit deeper they're also personal for me they're all issues that i've either experienced have seen family members experience, um, or just ones that are in my, that are always in, in my view. But again, there are ones that I think are the biggest disparities among black people and their health outcomes. Again, there are others like cancer, mental health, all those things. And I did try to weave those in. So that way it's not, if this is the only book that you read about black health and it's the only thing, you know, you will at least have gotten a taste of here's how the soul Social determinants of Health also affect these other topics like cancer rates and mental health. But these are the other topics I'm going to go into more detail on these four topics. So I tried to do my best to weave those in, but these were just the ones that were personal to me, but then also that I saw were the ones that had the biggest disparities. And some of them didn't have a lot of information, like the cardiovascular disease chapter was very difficult to write because there's not a lot of information. There's also not a lot of firsthand stories written by black men who have very dire um, health outcomes with cardiovascular disease. And so I wanted to shine a light on that and so we can continue to talk about it and enrich that part of our research.
0: Wonderful. Um, several years ago, I I heard you speak as part of a plenary at the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities conference, and um, it was it, it was about uh, the H and ASBH. I think was was the the name of the talk. Where is the H? And um, you spoke about how some senior scholars had previously questioned you and asked whether your work was "quote unquote" really bioethics, and you know, did it be- perhaps belong to some other discipline, such as public health? And um, you went on to to give a, a really um, eloquent explanation of why your scholarship necessarily draws on the fields of both bioethics and the humanities. And I wondered if you could tell our listeners a little bit about why black health is bioethics and not say pu- something like public health um, and then how it incorporates the humanities.
1: Great, thank you. I appreciate those kind words. Yes, you're absolutely right. It was a, a topic of what about the age and ASBH? And it's about how sometimes the humanities gets left out and how sometimes bioethicists don't incorporate The basic research practices or just the basic values and ideas of humanities, but how that can actually enrich our work. And in my book in black health, that was something very important to me. And that is one of the reasons why I made sure to give attention to the value of lived experience. A lot of times. People will question my work as bioethics because I don't ignore that the lived experience is data in and of itself. A lot of times, if it can't be backed up by numbers or research in the traditional sense, people will say, well, it's not important. Let's leave it out. And I think the lived experience tells us a lot about the world and a lot about how people view the world. And that is incredibly rich data and incredibly necessary data. And so that's why in Black Health, I wanted to do a little bit of both. I wanted to say, here is a statistic Here is the statistical information. Here is what the research tells us. Here's what the quantitative data tells us. Now let's put some value and match that with the qualitative data. Here's this story by this person that actually experienced it. What does this tell us about the issue? What does this tell us about the social determinants influence on black people's health? What does that tell us about racism's influence on black people's health outcomes and access to health care? And so for me, humanities is always something that I have valued and something that I think can enrich our work. And so when I frequently get asked, how is this bioethics or is this sociology or is this some other type of behavioral science or is this medical anthropology and all of those other areas are great. I just think that my work happens to be bioethics because it's talking about issues in our world that affect health and well-being. And I think that that's key, the well-being part, the human flourishing. I am a philosopher by training. And so I'm always very keen on the idea of human flourishing and all of those things that stop human flourishing, whether that be political, social, cultural or commercial determinants. And so for me, Black health is bioethics because one, it's talking about a vulnerable population. It's talking about what does health justice look like? It talks about how we are failing the idea of health justice for this very um, large population of people and how that can affect us all. And so all of these values and all these principles that we talk about in bioethics, like justice and beneficence and non-maleficence and making sure that we don't take advantage of vulnerable populations when we're doing research, all of that is in black health and black people as a people have a very rich history with all of those topics in America and with public health and with researchers and with scientists and with ethicists and so for me I don't understand the question in general because I think how can this not be bioethics and maybe I don't understand what bioethics means but to me that is quintessential what it means to study bioethics and to use bioethics in a public sphere to better health and well-being for a group of people um and let's see what was your second question again Claire
0: um how how you how black health incorporates the humanities which you touched on a bit
1: Okay, um, for me, Black health is really about how do we make sure that Black people's voices are heard when historically they have been silenced, they have been told to be quiet, they have had other people speak for them. And that is honestly one of the issues that we see in why Black people have poor health is because they aren't listened to, their voices aren't valued, they aren't trusted to be trustworthy narrators of their own stories, of their own illness, of their Own bodies and minds. And so for me, Black Health was a way to say, how do I shine a spotlight and let Black people tell their own stories? How do I use the small platform I have, the privileges that I have to shine a light on these people's stories who the general public may not read or may not know or may not hear? But who also can read these stories and identify and say, I see myself in that story or I see my mom or I see my grandfather in that story. And so it was very important to me to take that sort of principle from the humanities and give people a spotlight to tell their own stories, to speak and to learn from their stories and use that as valuable research so that I can be a better teacher, a better professor and better just citizen of the planet and that help other people do the same thing.
0: Well, it it, the book is beautiful and it and it it does that just wonderfully the weaving together of the statistical and the humanistic um, elements of of this topic. Um, We've already talked about how each section of the book can be assigned independently and how they all conclude with these questions for discussion and reflection. I wonder if you, as as we um, come to the end of the summer here and we look towards a new fall semester, if you have any ways that you imagine black health being used in the classroom?
1: Right. Ideally, because I used to teach basic bioethics courses, like introduction to bioethics for undergrads or to MA students or just at the basic level, just what is bioethics to even PhD students. When I was a PhD student, I barely knew what bioethics was. I had to do a lot of learning and a lot of reading on my own. So I see this as being taught in those intro courses as in addition to the other texts that professors might be using. So that way students can see that bioethics is very expansive, that they can do a lot of different things under the bioethics heading, they can study a lot of different topics, that bioethics doesn't have to just be what is in the textbooks. And I think that's what I needed when I was a student, to know that I could do what I wanted to do, I could study what I wanted to study, I could research what I wanted to research, and it can still be called bioethics. And there was still a place for me to thrive in this profession. And so really just showing another side of bioethics and Uh, particularly showing another side of bioethics like black bioethics and showing people, particularly students, that it doesn't have to be just this one idea that sometimes people hold on to and say this is bioethics and nothing else is bioethics, but that they can define bioethics for themselves. So other than the intro classes, I know that a lot of schools also do classes on racial justice or even more general health justice. And I think that this book is really about what does health justice mean? And it uses Black people as sort of a case study to show how we as a society have failed health justice for some people, but also how we can make sure that we work towards health justice. So I think in any of those kinds of specific Titled courses, it could also work.
0: Wonderful. Um, I uh, this. I I wonder if we could talk a little bit about each of the chapters and what each of each one of these four chapters could be a book on its own. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you, you do a real service in sort of like distilling the essentials down. And um, I think about um, the chapter on on hospital births, and you talk about. James Marion Sims, and I, uh, you know, I have read as a historian of medicine. I've you know read some historic. I've read historical books and articles and things on that. And you d- you distill it down so beautifully to a couple of pages that are very assignable. Um, and you do this with each of each of the topics. And so I I don't feel like I I have a question for each of the of the chapters, but I wondered if we could just go through them and you could maybe, um, give us a take home message or, a, a point that you would like, um, listeners of this interview to kind of walk away with for e- each of these health disparities that black health talks about. So, um, yeah, so, so, so let, let's talk the, the first one, which is, um, which is hospital? Why, why are hospital births unsafe for Black people? Um, tell us a little bit about you know what um, what are you know what are the key take homes from from that chapter?
1: Right. So I made this title intentionally. Uh, to, uh, and this title intentionally includes the phrase hospital birth, because I wanted to make it clear that I'm talking about a specific kind of birthing experience, and that is one that's in a clinical setting, and that there are other options for women to give birth, that birth doesn't always have to be medicalized in that sense. And so I wanted to make it clear that hospital births are, are an issue for Black birthing people, And this one, I think it's important to take away that there's a long history that led us to the point where hospital births are unsafe for Black people, that it's not something that just happened overnight, but that there's this long history from when Black people were enslaved in America to Jim Crow era, to civil rights era, that all of the struggles during that time led us to where we are right now. And so for this one, I wanted to make it clear that Giving birth and dying during or soon after giving birth is not inherent in the Black body. The Black body is not inferior. It's not that there's something in our DNA or in our biology that makes giving birth unsafe, but that it is the conditions and the environment around us. Again, one thing that I want to make very clear in this chapter and all the other chapters is that we don't have to pathologize the Black body or the Black mind, but that we should pathologize the environments that we live in. We lived in diseased environments. We don't have inherently diseased bodies. And so things like a lack of access to housing, differences in income, environmental pollution, different access to health insurance, different access to transportation. All of these things have greater consequences. And one of those consequences is that Black people can die sooner after birth if they don't have access to these resources. Um, And so I wanted to just make it very clear that It's not that there's just something wrong with the black body that makes birthing hard or difficult or a problem, but that it's our environment.
0: Absolutely. That, and it, that comes through crystal clear and you synthesize a lot of really important um, historical work too. Um, so, okay. So the second chapter is who believes our pain. So tell us about, about that one.
1: Right. So this one is really about how our identities intersect in particular, our gender, our class and our race and how they can intersect into making it more difficult for people to believe that we are in pain and therefore more difficult for us to receive proper pain management. Now, again, this is in a clinical setting that, There is lots of research that shows that Black people's pain is believed less. And so they're giving either inadequate pain therapy like ibuprofen when they really should have some opioids or something like that, or they're giving a few pain pills when really they should have more, or they have a lot of suspicion from doctors that they are drug shopping or that they are lying to them just so they can get pain meds. And so this chapter is really about how inhumane that is. If you've ever been in pain you know, just how rough it is and how it makes it impossible to do the other things in your life that you like, like walk your dog, run a marathon, paint a picture, watch a movie with your kids, right? If you're in pain, it makes life unbearable. And if there are certain people who are left in pain simply because of their skin color, then that is in the amount of inhumane treatment that I think is is simply unjust. So this chapter was really about why Black people are left in pain and how that influences their access to health and happiness and well-being. Because this is one of those chapters where even if you don't know a lot about Black people's health, I'll have people come to me and say, oh yeah, I heard that they don't get a lot of pain meds. Or oh yeah, I heard that their their pain is ignored. So that's actually fairly common knowledge, but I wanted to stress how this affects people. How What does it mean to be left in pain and to know that you're probably being left in pain because you're Black. And so this one for me, again, was personal. I've had experiences in this exact same area where my own physicians did not believe my pain and did not properly treat me and were very blatantly obvious that it was because I was a woman that I was Black, they didn't believe me. Um, and so this one was personal, but also I wanted to show just how inhumane it is to leave people in pain because of their skin color or any other reason. Yes.
0: Yes. Um, the third chapter is, is cardiovascular disease, a part of the black experience.
1: Right. This one was important to me, again, as someone who has hypertension, who has many, many family members with hypertension, who has had family members die from cardiovascular disease. This one was very important to me because it's something that is very common in the Black community. And there are a lot of myths. There are a lot of myths that, again, Black people just have inferior bodies. And that is why they have hypertension. This is why they die from heart failure and that kind of thing. And and again, I wanted to show how complex the racial disparity is in cardiovascular disease, that there are a lot of contributing factors, things like stress from racism, things like from lack of sleep, because you have to work a lot of jobs to make sure that you have food on the table for your family or living in poorer neighborhoods where there's crime or light pollution or air pollution, or water pollution, and you're up worrying and thinking about the safety of your family and your family's health. So I wanted to show another side of cardiovascular disease, that it's not just black people have poor cardiovascular systems, but to look at all of the social, political and cultural influences in our life that can influence why black people have higher rates of cardiovascular disease than other people and why they die more frequently from cardiovascular disease than other races. And so this one was really important to me to sort of dispel myths and to show that it's much more complex and I think people give it credit.
0: And then finally, the last chapter is titled, Does Where We Sleep Matter? But um, it's, it's about a lot more than sleep. Tell us about that one.
1: Right. Again, this one is personal to me. I've had sleep issues since I was around high school when I started being an overachiever. Um, and so I don't sleep a lot. And I have a lot of sleep issues. And it also runs in my family. A lot of my family members have a lot of trouble sleeping. And it really made me think about why. And I know a lot of people in my family will say, oh, your grandmother has that. It's truly hereditary. And I really don't think that it is. I think that we just all have similar problems. And that is why we don't sleep. So in this chapter, it was really about, again, pathogenizing our environment and not ourselves. So to show where we sleep and how that can influence the quality and the quantity of sleep and making sure that I noted environmental racism and where power plants, facilities like oil and gas facilities, I am here in Texas, so they're everywhere, um, how they emit pollutants in the water and how they emit pollutants in the air and how that can affect quality and quantity of sleep and how um, thinking about racism, whether it's racism, racism you personally experience or racism that you see on social media, how that can influence your sleep, but just how there's so many different things around us that can influence our sleep and how sleep hygiene or those tips that we get to help us sleep well, which we've all heard, right? People say, get off your phone, turn off your TV, make sure it's quiet, make sure your room is very cool, make sure you get blackout curtains, right? All these tips that we give people so they sleep better, but they don't get at the root of the issue for Black people. It doesn't talk about racism. It doesn't talk about what if there's pollution outside of your home? What can you do? It doesn't talk about if there's violence outside of your home and there's gunfire and that's what's keeping you up, but you also can't afford to live anywhere else, right? What about those tips in sleep hygiene? And so for me, it was really important to talk about why Black people don't sleep and to do an examination of the conditions in which they sleep that could be affecting their quality and quantity of sleep. So the title of the chapter, Does Where We Sleep Matter?, the answer is absolutely yes, it does.
0: Yes. Well, um, well, thank you, Keisha. So this, I, I feel like we've done a, a serviceable job um, talking about <laughs> why this book is, you know, fill, for really fills um, a void in bioethics scholarship um, and how it can be used and giving a little overview of each of the sections that can all be assigned together or can be assigned independently. Um, and that brings us to our final traditional question here for the New Books Network, and that is what are you working on next?
1: So my next book will be an edited volume with our center director, Nathan Carlin, which you know. And it's coming out through Oxford University Press. And it is each chapter is written by a young physician, a resident or a fellow. And they're each personal stories that they give That something that happened to them while they were training. So we have people, the first one, the first doctors to get uh, COVID. We have a young resident trying to date. We have uh, a lot of them who have experienced uh, suicide either by a fellow resident or by a, um, a family member. So they're all telling these stories, these very heartfelt stories about things that they've had to go through in their life while they were also training to be a physician, whether that include a crisis of faith that experienced, like I said, the uh, suicide, de- death by suicide from a father while they were in the middle of medical school, um, um, death of a family member by disease while they're also studying diseases and trying to become a doctor, or the Black Lives Matter protests are happening while a Black male physician is trying to become a physician, right? And so it's all of these personal stories that are directly from them, but also supported by the data. There's a lot of statistical information to put their stories within the broader picture of what is happening to young medical trainees. And so I'm working on that. And then the next book after that will be a Black bioethics compilation book where chapters will be written by Black bioethicists and giving more information and commentary and easy to read jargon free work on the experience of black health and what does it mean to have poor health as a black person written by black bioethicists
0: well wonderful well both of those sound fantastic and we will eagerly uh i will eagerly be eagerly awaiting reading them um thank you so much uh keisha for coming on the new books network and for your wonderful work with black health
1: thank you so much